Somebody asked me a few years ago, was the most valuable thing that we had within our business? And I said, it's really simple. We have a lot of really expensive equipment, but it's the people. It's the people in every aspect of the operation, whether it's manufacturing, logistics, sales, marketing, data and analytics, uh, shopper marketing. We have talent. We've got some amazing talent, and that's what we've really dedicated ourselves to. And I have of identifying, finding that talent, rewarding, inspiring them, and treating them like family. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. I'm really excited to have Rick Eastwood coming to our podcast today. Rick is recognized for running one of Canada's 50 best privately managed firms. He's a platinum member of that group and has been recognized as such seven years continuously. His business now is well over $100 million and he has been with it for over 28 years. One amazing thing that he talks about is a blue ocean strategy that he implemented in 2001 that caused enormous growth and success of his business over the last 18 years and is continuing to have his business outperform an incredibly competitive industry and an industry that is largely commoditized and his business is not. Please tune in and here is our podcast. So welcome, Rick. Uh, Thank you very much from taking time from your crazy, hectic schedule. Um, I was just hearing about all the places you've been over the last number of weeks. And uh, again, we really appreciate you making time for the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Well, uh, my pleasure, Chris. Uh, Always good to be part of the Alumni of Student Works Painting Buddy. (laughs) Yes, no, well, that's great. And actually, on top of just alumni, you are also um, one of now multi-generational what I wanted to do was just start. I know your son actually has worked with us the last two years out in Whistler. That's right. And maybe you can just share, you know, just what your perspective of that experience was and, and, and what you saw and drew uh, uh, going in and then also, you know, experiencing his second year, first and second year. Yeah, sure. At, uh, Drew's 21. He started when he was 19. He was going through some different uh, different programs at BCIT and entrepreneurship and marketing. I'd always spoken to him about the opportunity of possibly getting involved with Student Works Painting when he was younger. He thought that that sounded interesting. I thought, well, maybe maybe the time is now, and that was uh, when he was nineteen two years ago, and he dove into it. Um, always a risk anytime you're looking at running your own business, whether you're nineteen or twenty nine or thirty nine. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I have a lot of confidence in the program, having been through it, having had a lot of friends go through it, knowing, knowing, having known you over the last 30, 30 or so years, building and building and developing the program. And Drew, uh, Drew said he was interested. He, uh, prior to that, I would classify him as an unmotivated, lazy teenager. <laughs> Quite candid, but probably true. With hope. You know, with potential, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. And so anyways, after, uh, after a, couple of, a couple of calls and a couple of interviews, obviously he was offered the position up in Whistler, Whistler and Pemberton. Uh, his first year was 
was a solid season. Uh, it was a bit of an eye-opener, a bit of a learning curve. Yeah, He did well. Uh, quality of the jobs were great. Didn't prospect quite as much as he could have. And so he was uh, produced. Everything was a little late on sales at the end, but still, I think he had a solid year produced, I think, $80,000, something like that in the first year. Yeah. Decided that uh, he loved it. Uh, you know, he's there's no question he is a, a passionate entrepreneur and decided to do it again this past year. And so he completed his second season. And as you know, I'm not sure if you know or not, but he is uh, going to be running a franchise for his third year in a row. At the age of 21, he's just taken a term off school. He's now down surfing in California, enjoying some of the money that he earned this past summer, which uh, was was a really profitable year. I think he was 110000 in sales and uh, ended up with profitability of about $30,000. Which is really fantastic, you know, and and it is interesting, Rick, because you know, and not um, like sometimes the, our perspective as parents, you know, and what we see in our children. And I remember chatting, uh, and I know you you suggest I chat with Drew, and I remember seeing just a lot of the similar frustrations that other students were doing. Is yeah, I'm you know kind of unmotivated because there's nothing to be motivated about, and then all of a sudden giving them this opportunity to be motivated about something really got him motivated, right? And he really, really worked hard. Um, and not only his first year, this last year, he was a Mexico top performer. That's right. Yeah. And I, I remember just seeing him about, you know, five weeks ago and and he was sharing that he was coming back and just, you know, wow, so much confidence, so much excitement. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable, actually. He's He's gone from a couch surfing, lazy teenager that spent most of his time sleeping and growing Right. Uh, is what he told me he was doing when he was 17. And uh, all of a sudden, it's unbelievable. The uh, just the the inspiration, the viva la vive, the the energy level, all of the learnings that he's had has been have been unbelievable through the program. The people that he's met uh, are really interesting because there's so many diverse and interesting managers that join the program, some really intelligent people that he's been exposed to that he really admires and respects. Yeah. And and obviously great coaching through the program too. Yeah, no. And, you know, I know I, I've had the opportunity to, both of my sons have done the program and just got so much out of them. I've seen their confidence flourish, their communications and habits and mindsets developed. Um, so, you know, I know it's tough for you because I know you you were involved in the program a long time. Actually, you you ran the West Coast and and so you've, you know, done it at the highest levels in this business. But, you know, what, what are you thinking back? I know it's difficult, but what do you rely on still from the program? Are there any habits or things that you still rely on? Uh, well, it, uh, I think when you start off and you start running your own business and you, let, you learn what's involved in the success of being an entrepreneur, those habits apply to any business. And so it's, you know, it's really the, like the hard work and the determination uh, and the, the unbelievable persistency with respect to, uh, you know, always being on it. Right. And so, you know, the, those habits uh, that happened to me when I started the program when I was 20, 21 years old. And I'd say at, uh, at 55, uh, still going strong. So <laughs> Definitely. Knowing, knowing you well, still going strong. Yeah. Rel relentless, I think, with respect to, you know, driving the business. Yeah. And like just, you know, the building and developing the business is really, really, that's what's the most fun for me. Seeing it grow, bringing the people in, watching them do well, 
seeing the result of happy clients, uh, you know, solving customers' problems, being able to bring strategy to the table that uh, that obviously is going to inspire clients to want to work with you and uh, hopefully some great painters in this case to be able to have the trust and confidence to come and work with you for the summer. Yeah, no, one of the things I always love to say is our, our people have big engines, you know, and a lot of times people think that, hey, at a certain success and you're, you know, candidly beyond that, like, you know, what people think in terms of, well, gee, if I was where Rick was, I'd just be sitting on the beach all the time. And I know you do spend some time sitting on the beach or skiing at Whistler or doing whatever you do, but you're still really, really committed and still, still putting such, you know, commitment and passion into your business. Yeah, well, what's the old expression? Luck is when hard work and determination meet opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, stay, stay on it and you'll get lucky, right? <laughs> stay on it, you'll get lucky, you bet. So do you still connect with people from the program, Rick? All the time, Chris. Some of my the absolute best friends that I have have moved on uh, to do all, run all sorts of other different businesses. I'm constantly in touch with past uh, managers that used to work with me, former former district managers in British Columbia and Ontario, um, you know, all over the United States. The alumni is, it's an unbelievable uh, network of more, more friends than anything right now. Right. Uh, but uh, it's a lifelong ex- experience for sure. Yeah. No, and it's, it, it's fun as well to sort of just connect with people who get what it's like to be an entrepreneur, right? Like get what it's like to, to have really huge challenges and sort of just really be able to comprehend it. And, and so I know for you, you know, just you've had some really, really huge challenges or, you know, in your business. And I, and I thought maybe we could dig in and just talk about some of those, uh, you know, you know, maybe we could deal with uh, Unilever, you know, in early December or late December one year saying that, hey, we're, we're going to take our business elsewhere because of uh, of um, uh, international decision. Maybe you could share it with us about that. Yeah, well, to, to, uh, you know, uh, business and, and life, um, you know, a, as an entrepreneur, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster. And you have to have the ability, obviously, to be able to ride that out. And as my my mother-in-law said to me and her uh, her husband, my father-in-law was was a fire chief. So he had a very secure job with guaranteed income and a, and a, a terrific pension. Right. As an entrepreneur, you know, it's sort of the polar opposite of that. Yes. So in, in, her, in her words, and, you know, it's, um, I'm not sure if this is politically correct, but she said, you know, your life, you're either in the White House or the shit house. <laughs> and it, uh, so I prefer the White House, but the, the odd time it goes in the opposite direction. So over the course of my career and in my, my current uh, business, I've been with, uh, with it for the last 28 years full time. We grew exponentially through the 90s, uh, double-digit growth, uh, really for the better part of 10 years in a row. So we grew the business from 4 million to approximately 28 million in sales through to 2001. And then we proceeded to lose 60% of our business over the course of 18 months. Wow. And that was the recession of 2001, and which unfortunately at that time, I didn't anticipate and understand what trends were happening in the marketplace, which essentially we were heavily invested in a lot of hard and durable good clients. Uh, companies like uh, Nokia phones, uh, Bauer Hockey, Kaufman Footwear, Iona Appliances, all these hard and durable goods. And guess what happened? There was a mass exodus of business that left North America. 
It moved offshore, it moved to China, it moved to Mexico. So every time I picked up the phone, it wasn't anything, it wasn't our fault, but they were shutting, shutting operations down, which still goes on today. Obviously, General Motors just uh, announced the closure of, uh, of a big plant in Oshawa and four other plants in the U.S., so, so it does happen. I didn't anticipate that trend, and sure enough, we lost uh, a lot of business over the course of 18 months, literally 60% of our business. Wow. So we had to reinvent ourselves. And so we were able to take a lot of the same assets we, that we had and redirect them away from what we were focused in more in the packaging space to displays and point of purchase advertising. Kind of business that we knew would stay in North America was very time sensitive and very customized. So really impossible to be able to move it offshore. And so we heavily invested our, ourselves in that starting in 2000 and still are heavily invested in that today. Four years ago, you mentioned that uh, I had an issue with Unilever. Well, we, we were doing 100% of all the business for Unilever Canada, and it was our largest account, and largest account to the point is 30% of our business, and 30, probably even 35% of the business. And they decided that they were going to tender the business in the U U.S. to try and identify potential other partners in the U.S. market, telling us not to worry that Canada was not part of that mix. Right. In the 11th hour, uh, after they awarded the, the U.S. business from 13 vendors down to one, we got notified at Christmas time that, by the way, Canada is included in that. You'll be losing the business within six months. Wow. And so I guess the lesson there is not that we were complacent with it by any means, but first of all, we had one account that was a far, far too large piece of our, our business overall. So we were, we were vulnerable. Uh, which is dangerous. And, you know, the rule of thumb is you really don't ever want an account that's bigger than 10% of your overall volume. Right. So we were exposed. The only way to compensate for that is to, is to grow the rest of your business so that that account then only becomes 10% of your business. Which is hard when it's that size of business, right? <laughs> How big was Unilever at the time? They were 28 million in sales. <laughs> wow. So um, you don't just go and replace that overnight. For sure. So uh, in, in the process, we, uh, we were fortunate we were able to uh, pick up some other business in the U.S. market uh, that was quite substantial. We were successful earning the majority of the business with a company called, a small company called Mars Chocolate, and then eventually picked up uh, all the business with Wrigley Chewing Gum. Wow. And so we were actually, that's four and a half years ago, uh, and that replaced the majority of the Unilever business. We built a lot of our other business up and around that. And we've also just finished an acquisition this, uh, this past summer, which has increased the, the capabilities of the organization and the size of the size of the firm substantially as well. Um, and in the process, we've also picked up all of the Canadian business with Mars and Wrigley. And actually, we've just been given the nod to, uh, to look after their business in Mexico, uh, the Caribbean and Puerto Rico. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. And, and for just because we're dealing with a lot of younger, you know, students who are listening to our podcast, Rick, you know, maybe you could share some of the brands that Unilever has just to make sure people understand. And some of the, some of the brands that Mars has obviously chocolates, but, but others that they can understand just exactly. And the type of packaging that you do now in displays. Yeah. So Unilever, I mean, they, they probably have a hundred brands, but some of, some of the, 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 the bigger ones would be Dove Soap. Um, you know, Hellman's, Hellman's mayonnaise, right. all of the, all of the 
Axe Brands. Axe Brands. So they, I think, second to Procter & Gamble, they are the second largest consumer packaged good company in the world. Right. I think the annual sales, I believe, are in the $70 billion mark. Wow. So they're, they're a huge, huge organization. Uh, so it's, um, and I'm sorry, what was your other question? Just Mars. And I think people understand Mars because they advertise on their chocolate, you know, who they are. So I think students would know. Yeah. All of the, you know, all, you know, Skittles for, for Wrigley, obviously all the, all the M&Ms, Snickers, uh, chocolate, uh, chocolate bars, which are Snickers is the number one chocolate bar in, in the world. So there's, uh, all of the different Mars products, three musketeers and, you know, all sorts of, uh, different products. They, you know, all the, all the Excel chewing gum is all with all the, obviously the Wrigley's chewing gum. Right. Operates under different brands like Excel. So Rick, one of the things uh, that a lot of people don't understand is your business actually operates in a completely commoditized space. You know, basically you came out of just the brown boxes, you know, that, that, well, I guess now with Amazon is actually growing and growing, but you've, you know, you've got a brown box business and you've got these enormous competitors and it really is remarkable at how your business is, has just continued to thrive. Maybe you could speak to that. Yeah. And it's, uh, years ago, I read a book called Blue Ocean Strategies. I think you may have read. Yes. Yes. And the, 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 the whole concept behind that is to be able to take your, your business and reinvent it and try and build an uncontested market space that makes the competition relevant. Right. So a good example of that would be something like Cirque du Soleil. And so, you know, here all of a sudden, you know, they, you know, this, the, the folks from Cirque, it's a billion dollar Canadian business. They started off and decided, you know what, the, the circus could be reinvented instead of using all of these animals. You know, what if we utilized all of these retired gymnasts who really didn't have, you know, a future from a, you know, post uh, being an Olympic gymnast. Right. So they, they reinvented the whole concept of the circus. So, you know, I haven't really quite gotten to the Cirque du Soleil spot yet, <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, really taking some of the principles of that and applying those to our business and really trying to understand how could we create an uncontested market space? What could we do from a capability standpoint to add skills and proprietary capabilities that would be very difficult or, or impossible for the majority of our competition to be able to replicate? And so it's been, it's been that objective over the last, you know, that would be really since 2001, after we had the carpet pulled out from underneath us in uh, 2001, we started to really invest in these enterprise systems, which uh, today is called, uh, it started off as a VIP program, uh, which was uh, how we started it today. It's branded under what we call our performance at retail model, which is really a suite of tools and capabilities that when we plug it into a, into a client's business drives all sorts of value. So it's, uh, it's not just a, a product-based uh, sales process. It's very much a system-based process that we have that we've developed for clients. So today, if we, we start working with a client, we end up working very strategically with them and less tactically. So we're still producing packaging, producing all sorts of point of purchase displays. Ultimately, that's what we sell. But we, we layer that and wrap around that a performance retail model that also works very strategically within the client's business. We can help identify 
uh, different retailers where there's the opportunity to put more displays in through data and analytics uh, that where they've been under under indexed or underutilized over the last couple of years and therefore their sales opportunity. So utilizing different data, data analytics, um, and all sorts of other tools to be able to drive sales and profitability for clients, not just selling them packaging or displays. Right. And not just, not just, you know, uh, having it a value proposition. Here's the price we're selling you this display at. It's no, we're making you money. Right. And they're seeing how much money they can make by using central. That's right. That's right. So it's, uh, it's real data. Uh, we, we have a whole team of, uh, on our, they're building different softwares, being able to extract data from AC Nielsen and other, other big research and data institutes that are available, being able to understand how that would apply to our client's business, being able to determine what the sales were off of display for Halloween, for example. You know, and how was our how was Mars doing against Hershey's? And so we're doing all of that data. You're doing it, not them. We're doing it. That's surprising to me. And so we we've hired and developed some proprietary software algorithms to be able to analyze this data, and it uh, it just changes the whole conversation uh, with clients. becomes much more strategic and less tactical. Right. You end up working with them uh, much earlier in the in the in the process. So you're part of the planning process. You're working with them a year to eighteen months out uh, because of the strategic aspect of the business. Rick, I know you're a really smart guy because I've known you a long time. Just for some background, we met at a home show. Right. You know, Rick's first year in the business, my second year in the business, and we've been best of buddies ever since. But, but I know you're a really smart guy, and I know that a lot of these capabilities you personally don't have. So what have you done to sort of attract the talent or recognize that you needed this talent? You know, how, what's that process been for, you know, the leaders of tomorrow to get a sense of that? And it's people. And that's, that's really what you're getting at. And, you know, somebody asked me a few years ago, what, you know, what was the most valuable thing that we had within our business? And I said, it's, it's really simple. We have a lot of really expensive equipment, right? but it's the people. Yeah. It's the people in every aspect of the operation, whether it's manufacturing, logistics, sales, marketing, data and analytics, uh, shopper marketing. We have, we have talent. Uh, we've got some amazing talent, and, and that's what we've really dedicated ourselves to, and I have of identifying, finding that, that talent, rewarding, inspiring them, and treating them like family. Yeah. They run it like it's their business. They're extremely well compensated. There's really there's a, a fantastic profit sharing model with, with, within the organization that really drives inspiration and motivation. Uh, so it, it's really it's it's top talent, which in today's world, as you know, is is really hard to find. Yeah, you're obviously you're you know you're only one person. You're only capable of, of doing a limited amount, no matter how talented you are. Fortunately, I'm not that good at a lot of things specifically. <laughs> Uh, you know, as my chief design officer says, he said, I'm really glad that you can't draw. <laughs> and, and which is true. A stick, a stickman on a good day is, uh, you know, sort of the extent of my artistic capability, but it, I'm very creative, right? Not, not, not artistic. So, uh, you know, we really have, um, you know, undeniably one of the best teams in North America in our space. Right. Uh, so. That obviously is is a huge, huge key to 
uh, to the organization. Today, we have 500 employees within the, within the organization and constantly looking to bring in new talent. Yeah. And again, for our, for our young leaders who are listening, it's, 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 I know you've, you've had people there for decades, you know, and they're just, they're crushing it. They're, they're crushing it in terms of the value they produce for your business and their business. And also they're crushing it in terms of the, the, the income they're earning and the profit they're sharing in. So, so, you know, it's one of those things where, again, a lot of times people look at business and thinking, oh, wow, it's about power. It's about, oh, the CEO winning. No, it's about everybody winning. And I, I, you know, again, I spend a bunch of time with your, your people and your friends and which typically are your people. A lot of times, your people, right. <laughs> just like, just like for me, you know, just, you know, hanging out with those people. And, and again, they're just, they're just such alignment in the group, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Rick, what are the skills that you bring to the business or where do you like to focus your time in the business? Back to people, uh, would be people development, uh, identifying talent, uh, you know, br- bringing the right people in, getting them into the right positions where they can really excel. So it, uh, I, there would be that, uh, strategy, uh, strategy and vision, uh, at this point in the organization, that's really where I focus a lot of my time analyzing what's going on in the marketplace, emerging trends, uh, whether they're technology, strategic, data and analytics, uh, all of that. I really would spend the majority of my time in in that space. Networking, uh, I have constant deep networks within uh, my within all of my competitors within North America, uh, many of which I would call friends, and I would. Um, that's a, actually huge key to our success is having the, the kind of relationships with competitors that have a lot of respect for us mm-hmm. in the market as well. We help them also in areas where we're, where we excel. Uh, you were part of a group, uh, CEO advisory group 20 years ago that, uh, that I'm still part of with folks all over North America that, uh, are really exceptional in, in my space. Yeah. Uh, so it would be, th- those would be the, the key areas and spending time, uh, you know, with our key people. Um, right. I was at uh, two of our five factories yesterday at a Christmas party at one and meeting with other folks at uh, one, of, one of our other plants and really just uh, talking to the people and yeah. finding out what they're doing and uh, making, making sure that they know how much they're loved. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and highly thought of. And, and it's interesting. Again, there's another thing that a lot of times people don't see is, is, that, is that your relationships with these other uh, people who literally do the exact same thing throughout North America are, again, I know they are really good friends and they're allies and you can support each other. Again, with no price fixing, no, you know, it's, it's, it's about, hey, oh, here, I can share this. And because and, and, I remember you moving into the display business and I can't remember the chap's name, but down in LA and he was way ahead of where you were in the display business at the time. Um, and I'm sure there's all sorts of things that you gain from that relationship and learned. And again, um, never took any business, I imagine, uh, from him long term. But it's it's just these are the capabilities that you're learning, and and I'm sure he learned all sorts of things from you as well. These groups are are mostly in uncompetitive markets. Exactly, our, our business is is really focused, obviously, in the Canadian market, in the Northeast, and the Midwest, and uh, and some some of these folks are you know located in Minnesota and Florida and LA. So we really we don't compete. Uh, head to head that often we're still are in the same market 
Right. We're really uh, in really an uncompetitive markets. Yeah. So it's, there's no risk of us. You know, we're not going to bang heads that often. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you're big boys if you do. And, and hey, whatever, you know, someone's going to win it. Someone's going to lose it. It's all okay. Well, it's, you know, and we're, and we're competing against multi-billion dollar firms. Right. That uh, li- literally, you know, 10 plus billion dollar firms in our space. And, and they're, they're the ones looking after the Unilevers of the world. So, it's, um, you know, and, and I guess that's another lesson there is, you know, making sure that you pick the right kind of customers that you're the right fit for long term. Right. Yeah. And again, it's amazing that you are serving these literally the big fortune 100 businesses, you know, your, your, your business. It really speaks to, again, the team of people that you put together, obviously the strategy you have, you have implemented. Um, so, uh, you know, Rick, if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, what advice would you give them? First of all, you know, another great expression I, I really enjoy is that uh, I spent my entire life becoming an overnight success. <laughs> exactly. So it's, uh, and as you're well aware, uh, every, things take a lot longer than you expect. You betcha. Uh, so it's, there's, there's no, there's no quick fix. There's, there's no, there's no easy money. Yeah. It doesn't exist. There is no such thing as luck. There's timing. Uh, but there is no such thing as luck. As, as I said, luck is when hard work and determination meet opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, it's a lot of hard work and it's like steady literally every day. Yeah. You can't go and blitz it for a month or two and be successful. Yeah. Uh, it's it's got to become habitual. It's, uh, you know, you're always work, working on the business. You're, as an entrepreneur, you have to assume that you're going to lose all of your business tomorrow. Right. And you, uh, if you work with that sort of mentality, uh, then, you know, your chances of being successful are a lot higher. Uh, one of the other keys is cash, is cash flow. So it's not about size. You know, you know, the old expression, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash flow is reality. So it's, you know, cash first. Mm-hmm. And so if you're starting a business, you know, really, Prepare, prepare for that. Expect everything is, all the sales are going to take longer to come in. All the expenses are going to be higher than you expected. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to have the, the cash flow to be able to ride that out. Yeah. So obviously the student works program is, is fantastic. I, I know that, uh, that, uh, that your organization helps students get established. They help provide them with some initial credit in order to buy supplies and paint and, you know, some of the, uh, the, the ladders and the materials that are needed. And you've got a whole model on how to, how to manage the cash flow of the business. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, it's, I, I love just, again, the patience, you know, and I know that's what's happened. Obviously, we've been doing this together for so long, you know, and, and just, just how long it takes, you know, I'm, I'm, I must say, I'm surprised at how successful we become. Never thought we'd become this successful you know, on this side of the screen. Um, and I, I don't know how you think, but it's pretty amazing the level of success that you've had. And again, it's step by step, day by day, year by year. And uh, it's amazing what, what gets created. One day at a time, right? And it's interesting. I have a lot, a lot of my, many competitors over the last 10 years have, uh, have either been acquired or, or they've gone out of business. And, and I really, uh, really boil it down to uh, uh, I not being on the ball and, uh, and not working hard. Yeah. There can be some good times. That, yep, there are. There are times, 
as, as, a, as an entrepreneur where things, I wouldn't want to say cruise control, but things were looking pretty good. Yeah. And that, that's the time to double down and not get complacent. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that we were exceedingly successful through the, the 90s until 2001 hit. And I did not anticipate the trend of the uh, mass exodus of companies moving offshore. Right. And, and that's uh, really what slapped us, uh, slapped us in the, the back of the head at that point. So it's just trying to make sure you're anticipating all of these uh, economic trends as they're happening. And on the other hand, one of the things that you did do, you and your father, is you kept a lot of cash in your business. We did. So you were prepared and able to weather the storm, right? So, so. Yeah, operated very conservatively, always with, as they say, a little bit of dry powder there for a yeah. rainy day. Yeah. And, uh, and that also, you're right, it gave us a lot more confidence to be able to ride out some of the, some of the more difficult times. Yeah. And it also obviously gave us the opportunity to be able to invest in opportunities if they presented themselves. Over there, yeah. So Rick, you know, I know, uh, you know, mostly we're dealing with a group that, that are in school and, and studying. And I know for you, school or sorry, learning has never ended. So what have you continued to do post-Western uh, in your learning and development? It's never ending, Chris. It's uh, literally, you know, it's, uh, you know, I read every day. You know, I'm, I'm reading all sorts of different industry journals. I'm reading all everything uh, economically what that's that's going on in the world and the market. Latest technology trends. It uh, literally uh, it's that's an everyday pursuit. No, that's great. Uh, I'm I'm part of a couple of advisory groups. I'm still a uh, a former chapter member with YEO, which I know you, the Young Entrepreneurs Organization, which is now EO. Yeah today, uh, which is like YPO. So I have a forum group there that I'm constantly in touch with. I know you're, you're part of the same. Right. Um, I see a CEO advisory group that, uh, that I'm active with. That's uh, I've been with the, those folks for the last 20 years, uh, attending all sorts of industry and association trade shows and events. It's constant. Awesome. No, that's great. And, and again, just helping people sort of understand what it takes to have the, the success in the future. So, so, you know, when you think of an emerging leader, um, you know, what comes to mind? You know, certainly interpersonal le leadership skills, you know, the ability to be able to really be compassionate as a leader, to be able to understand your, your employees, what makes them tick. If you're looking for that, that the best talent to be able to, to bring into, into your, your company. How do you do that? What sort of traits do you need to be able to give them the confidence that you're worth investing their time and their future in? And how do they know that they can trust you uh, and rely on you to help, uh, help them achieve their goals and objectives? So it's, there, I, I, there's personality traits there that you would be looking for. Persistence. Uh, hard work, determination, uh, relentless pursuit of success. Uh, it's, it re you really have to be passionate about wanting to, to build a business. You have to be prepared to live it 24-7. You know, the clock, as you know, it doesn't turn off at 5 o'clock. Right. It doesn't turn off on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh, you, like you might be sitting on a beach somewhere, uh, but you're constantly thinking about different things that you can do to be able to improve the business. 
And so it's a, it's a lifestyle. If you're, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be a, a leader, it's definitely a lifestyle of commitment. Uh, unbelievably rewarding, I believe, for the right, right individual. But you really have to understand that it's an enormous amount of dedication. Uh, and you're, you're thinking about it and you have to like it. Yes. It, uh, you know, it's, uh, you have to want to be able to talk about it for 16 hours straight and not, and not get tired. Right. Uh, you know, and if, if it gives you the juice, if it gives you the energy, if you can, if you can spend a night uh, talking with your friends about it and after you've finished, it doesn't feel like you're talking about work. It's you're all, you're all charged up. Uh, then, uh, then you're doing the right thing. That's a good sign, right? It's a good sign. I know. Yeah. No, I know. I know when we get together, there's always a big chunk of the evening that we just talk about. I got some new ideas I need to talk to you about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. And, and, you know, two of the words you said, you know, relentless, you know, you know, that's one thing you are is just relentless and excellence. You know, those, those two things really, really shout out Rick Eastwood. Yeah, and it's sort of a um, you know Michael Dell has a philosophy that I really like and I've adopted internally, which it's and uh, my management group doesn't love it sometimes. Right, but, but it's really simple. It's happy but never satisfied. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, well, that's pretty good. However, uh, you know, I think we could do better. <laughs> exactly. And why would you settle for anything less than incredible? 100%. And what, what is Mars expecting? What is Wrigley's expecting? What are all the amazing customers you have? Right. And uh, so absolutely. They're expecting incredible and excellence. Yeah. And if they don't think that, that we're the guys that are going to bring that to them, then they're probably going to go someplace else. Someplace else. So yeah, they better get that message from us. I love that. I love that. So incredible and excellent. That's a great thing to strive for. Nothing that's really unreasonable. Nope. It's achievable. Yeah, yeah. And just in the end, is happy but never satisfied. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Rick, I just want to, uh, you know, just share my appreciation. I know a whole bunch of it is personal, but just on a professional basis, Rick, you've just made such an enormous contribution to our business. Uh, you know, into the the Student Works program, uh, you've you've been a model of absolute excellence and success. Uh, you've uh, over the years, you've continued to come out and share with our alumni. Uh, sorry, share with our young leaders and really make an impact. And we're really excited now that we've got these podcasts, so that a lot of the talks won't go to waste. And you know, fifty, sixty, a hundred people are going to hear them and, and, and they go away. And, and now this is something that people can tune in and listen to. So thanks so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. And Chris, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I really don't believe that I would be in the position that I'm in today if it wasn't for the opportunity that I had, which was how many years ago now? <laughs> What's 55 minus 21? 34 years. 34 years. That's incredible how, how young we are, but that's not possible. Yeah, really, you know, at the age of double nickel, uh, you know, it's really, I'm just 22 with 33 years worth of experience. <laughs> just definitely lacking maturity in certain areas. That's the 22-year aspect of it. But it's the uh, undeniably, uh, you know, student works painting and the entrepreneurial opportunity uh, really, really launched and uh, and kickstarted my my entire career. So it's uh, I'm totally indebted to it. Uh, love the program. I think it's an unbelievable. It's like it's like a practical MBA. It was by far the best education that I received while I was going to university. <laughs> and it was 
you know, really glad I took all the courses I did at Western as well. Right. Uh, but it was really, uh, it was really student works that was uh, the, the ultimate uh, business training program for me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for spending time in your busy, uh, busy, crazy week. So, so all the best, Rick. We'll talk to you real soon. You bet. My pleasure. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to Leaders of Tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed. Or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age.